Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 177. This week, I'm really excited to be sharing an interview with author Renee Linnell. She recently wrote the book, The Burn Zone, where she shares her experience having been in a Buddhist cult. She's also a multi-passionate, which means she has so many interests. I know you guys are going to relate to her story of being a seeker and looking for the thing that's bigger than each of us in this world, and then walking into a meditation seminar and coming out very much moved and decided that she would follow the teachings of the leader wherever it took her. If you're new, I want to give you a very warm welcome. This is Paula. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast every Tuesday. It's been such a joy. We are in our fourth season and really looking at the inspiration, intention, and action involved in finding your everyday joy. As a mix of a project manager and a life coach, (laughs) I love having this podcast that gets to mix the two of those worlds so seamlessly, and it's so much fun to be able to produce this show each week. If you guys want to find out more about the show, about me, or about joy, you can find it all over at jumpstartyourjoy.com, and I do show notes each week for every show. And so if you want to find out a little bit more and see the links to Renee's show, if you're driving or gardening, or you can find that at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Renee, R-E-N-E-E. The other thing you might find over there is if you are looking for either a life coach, uh, that would be me, or you are going to start your own podcast, I would love to help you on either of those journeys. That's what I do. And that's what I love. So check it out. While you're on the site, there's a work with me. You can sign up for a free 30-minute consultation for either thing. I would love to hear from you. Here's what I really love about this conversation from both the inspiration and action pieces of the three tenets that we've been looking at as far as joy goes. So from an inspiration standpoint, I can relate relate so deeply to Renee's story and the things that she shares around being a seeker and looking for the deeper meaning that this life holds. You will hear her talk about how she lost many of the important people in her life, including her father, by age 15, and she just had this sense that it seemed far too cruel for us to be created and live here and only to lose everybody that we love. And so I can relate to that seeking from a very spiritual sense, having gone to divinity school and really looking for deeper meaning. And then to find the thing that you love or find the thing that connects you so deeply with source. I think there's something super interesting about that moment. And then who do we follow and why? And you'll hear her talk about that. And so from the action perspective here, it really is the trusting of your gut and your intuition and knowing that it won't lead you astray. And when you start to have that, those inklings that maybe this isn't the right path or maybe these people aren't the right ones, to really follow that, even though it might be really hard because you've made relationships or you've created a community around something. But trusting that you know when it's time to exit a specific group of people or teaching. So I really hope you'll love this conversation as much as I did. And so here is the discussion with Renee. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you, Paula. It's so nice to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you. The first question that I ask everybody is, tell us what you loved most as a child or in school. What were your earliest sparks of joy? I loved being alone Mm -hmm. and I loved the ocean and I loved dancing. I know from reading your book, The Burn Zone, you grew up in Florida and the Bahamas? 
Yes. I guess a third of my childhood I spent on a boat in the Bahamas until I was 15. My dad was captain of a landing craft infantry in World War II, so he always dreamed about having a boat where he wasn't in war. Mm. And so, and he was older when I was born, he was 54, and I have a twin brother, so he raised us on a boat until he passed away when we were 15. So it's so amazing. I mean, just the Bahamas alone, I had not been until like last October. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Like I could not have imagined water that looked like that or a place that felt like that. It's so beautiful. And it's interesting now as an adult, I realize I was always a highly sensitive person and an, a severe introvert. And so being raised in that environment was so perfect for me. I spent most of my time underwater or floating on the water. And it was just such a pristine, quiet, pure environment that made me really weird, even weirder, because I wasn't like the other kids. I didn't watch TV, but I loved it. What a blessing. I can only imagine. Yeah, just being near that water, that had to have been like a really powerful source for, for you. That blue, there's nothing like it. I know. This planet is amazing. Mm, really is. But you recently wrote The Burn Zone. And do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey from kind of being, you know, a 15-year-old in the Bahamas to either the writing of the book or what it's about? Sure. So most of my family died before I was 15. And then my father died on Thanksgiving Day when I was 15, leaving me really with just my mother, who was an abusive alcoholic and a pill addict, and my twin brother. And so I I immediately began searching for answers to the big questions like, why are we here? And what comes after we die? And it just seemed way too cruel that we fall so in love with each other only to have everybody die. And so that search took me all over the world. I ended up traveling to almost 50 countries by the time I was 35. And I studied all kinds of religions. And I became a wild child and tried to find love in the beds of all these different men. And I was just searching, 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 reading tons of self-help books. And I had this dream life as this model, a surf model that got to travel the world. And then I became a professional Argentine tango dancer. And so from the outside looking in, it looked like I had everything, but I was so empty inside and soul sick. And then my mother went missing and turned out drowned in a hotel bathtub when I was 28. And I just was shattered. (laughs) And then I walked into a meditation seminar, not knowing what to expect. And, and that's how I opened the book, The Burn Zone, with this experience. I sat in front of this teacher and meditated for the first time and felt this energy uncoil at the base of my spine and shoot up through the top of my head and everything went white and mm-hmm. my mind exploded into peace and stillness and love and white light and the whole world dropped away and all I felt was this intense joy and peace. And I said, I don't care who this woman is. I don't care what she says. This is what I've been searching for my entire life. I'm home. And so that's how it started. And then because I'm extreme, I studied with her for years. I got ordained as a Buddhist monk. And seven years later, realized after I had kind of pushed away my brother and all of my friends and everything I loved, realized that I had been severely brainwashed in a Buddhist cult. Mm-hmm. And so the burn zone was my catharsis 
Yeah. And of course, there's much more to the story and I don't want to give it all away, but <laughs> right. I was totally broken and completely shattered and brainwashed with nothing left. I'd burned all of my possessions and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And and so the burn zone started as just the catharsis, getting the story out of me so I could heal. And then as I started to tell people of the story and have less shame around sharing it, people all said, oh, you have to write a book. <laughs> Yeah. I said, oh my gosh, I think I am writing a book. Mm. So that's how it happened. I love that you've kind of bookended it because really the sense that I had in reading it was, yes, the presence of this woman, she was calling it the burn zone, but truly kind of the experience itself, it seemed for you, was in fact the burn zone of like kind of, like you said, the catharsis of almost rebirthing yourself into someone new. Yes, yes. The woman called the front row of the meditation seminar the burn zone because Mm -hmm. we were so close to all of her light. But as I went through this total shattering of my life and my paradigm of the world and my sanity, and I realized that as I came out the other side that I had been in a crucible and that I had melted and that when life comes along and truly beats the crap out of us, if we hang in there, we come out the other side, a softer, purer, kinder, more compassionate, more authentic version. That's so beautiful. Mm, Yeah. And that, I mean, it was a fascinating read. So thank you for writing it and, and sharing your story, because I think part of us or part of me, I could relate really strongly to the experience of having that moment And as you were saying that, I know there was a seminar that I went to and it was Wayne Dyer that was leading and a similar, I think it was actually, I'd done um, Bikram yoga in the same room as him, strangely (laughs) strangely enough, uh, at his Maui retreat. And I walked away with that same like crazy, like, holy shit, what is this feeling? Like feeling completely like a different person. Interesting because that's, I think what happens is when we truly quiet our minds for the Mm -hmm. first time, we tap into what we naturally are, which is pure love. Mm -hmm. But so many of us erroneously attribute it to the teacher or the guru or the group, which is what I did. I gave her all the credit for me finally feeling what I truly am. But and all the saints and mystics and great spiritual teachers say that, that we are pure love and our minds are pure, expansive, white light and love, but none of us really ever stops the chatter in our minds long enough to really, really tap into that and feel it. Yeah, that's really profound and powerful because the question I was I was toying with around that is something about like when we feel that great connection probably to source and like you're saying, not necessarily to the the teacher or the the group or the person that brought us there, how do kind of looking back, how would you explain if somebody is in that moment, because personal growth is amazing, how do you discern then which step to take, right? Like, because some some of the, the teachers may not be, you know, they may be on a different path. I'm sure the, what they've brought you to is that pure love, but then some of them may not have the best of intentions after that moment. And unfortunately, I think a lot of them don't. I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of narcissists out there that end up in positions of power, especially as spiritual teachers or yoga teachers. And then they end up with all these really pure seekers kind of bowing at their feet. Because those of us that are seeking, I used to think seekers were just these lost souls 
I myself being a seeker my whole life. But what I realized is we're people that don't buy the status quo. From a young age, we're like, this just doesn't make sense that you come into this world to just marry someone that you get bored with or that you hate and work a job that you hate and pay bills and get sick and then die of old age. There has to be more. And so I think we become seekers because we start thinking there has to be more <laughs> to all of this. And and I think we're so sincere in trying to find people that seem to have figured it out that when we think we do, we just throw ourselves at their feet. And so my response to your question is, I think we're all born with this incredible inner guidance and it tells us when we're straying. But unfortunately, I think those of us that are seekers also have a lot of self-doubt. And so when we start to get that feeling, when our intuition says, well, this was great for a while, but now they're raising the tuition so, so much, or the teacher's coming on to me, or they're shaming people that are leaving the group, you know, your intuition says this suddenly doesn't feel very good. But then the self-doubt kicks in and says, well, but, you know, maybe I don't know, or maybe I'm not seeing clearly. But my yeah. answer to you is trust your <laughs> trust your feeling. It feels great in the beginning. And then mm-hmm. when it starts to not feel so good, it's time to find a different group. Yeah, um, that's amazing, too, because I, I could see the initial excitement of like, wow, I've never felt this thing before. I mean, because I think many of us have had that, especially as people who you're saying are seekers and and who do want something more and and know that there is something more. And then what we we want so much to believe that thing and that we right. found that thing that it's really right. easy to get lulled into something and ignore some of the signs that maybe are not what we want to admit to and i think it's like any abusive relationship where mm-hmm. in the beginning you know if you go on a first date and somebody hits you in the face you're not going on a second date mm-hmm. but there's always this romance and this feeling of being seen and being cherished and being uplifted and empowered in the beginning. And then usually then they consume most of your time. And so your support structure, your friends and activities you love start to go away. And you spend more and more of your time with that person or the group. And then they introduce self-doubt. And so one of my biggest takeaways from all of it is we've got to learn to love ourselves and trust ourselves and have our own backs and make how we feel much more important than what other people think of us. Yeah. And I saw in your book that you were going back to that place. I mean, on the the one hand, like I love that you seem to put um, after having been involved can I call it a cult with the cult? Yes. Oh, it's okay. definitely a cult. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a cult. With yeah. a cult. And then you found yourself from time to time reaching back out to people who, with whom you had a connection with. I know one of them was Bruno. The other one was your hairdresser. And I feel like, was it purposeful that you put one of those connections right in the middle of the book? Like, or was that just kind of how it, it fell together for you? No, it's how it felt together for me. Mm. I loved it because it seemed like as a body of work, it was like in the middle of all of this is also who I am and this really intuitive sense that I needed to reconnect with somebody who who loved me and knew me for all of my potential and my fullness. No, that just that just (laughs) happened. And it makes me realize that we really are so protected all along the way. You know, people ask me. Well, how can you forgive those people that used you and you lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and abused you? And mm-hmm. and I just went, I know it sounds cliche, but I love the person I am on the other side. And 
I love the story. I mean, it's a great story. It was terrible when I was going through it, but it makes for a really good book. And I really would not undo any of it. And I think that's interesting. Probably if most of us look back at the hard things that we've gone through, there's that similar sense of like, I couldn't be who I am right this second without having been through the midst of that. I feel like life gave me the triple knockout punch three in a row. And after that, I'm still standing. And I wasn't. It took six years for me to heal, which was much longer than I thought it ever would. But now, gosh, my approach to life, I had been searching so high and low for, and this again sounds cliche, where they say it's everything you're searching for is within you. But since your podcast is all about joy, mm-hmm. what what I finally realized was, I had been trying to be these versions of me that I wasn't, that I thought would please my parents or please the world or please my teachers. And after being so beat up by life, I just didn't have the energy to do that anymore. And the facades got stripped off. And as I built myself back together, I built just the authentic pieces. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm actually quite good at being me, the weird, quirky, introverted, shy psychic, clear audience, super sensitive me. I was really bad at being all those other versions, but being me is so easy that it's actually fun. And then when it's fun, life becomes fun. And then when life is fun, I become kind (laughs) and I'm nice to people because I'm happy. And then suddenly I am living saint-like every day just by being kind and happy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I just want to soak that up for like a long time. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't, uh, I've got so many questions kind of related to that. I feel like even for myself, as you were saying that, I could see past versions of myself that was where I was trying to so hard to fit in. I mean, I actually had this like flashback of me telling my hairdresser that I wanted a Martha Stewart haircut shortly after I got married the first time because I really felt. Sorry, I'm really belly laughing over this, like, because I really felt like that would morph me into this person that I thought I needed to be to be in that relationship. And <laughs> clearly, now that I've said that that was my first marriage, that didn't last. But I could see how I wanted something so badly that I wanted it to be true for myself. And I felt like all these outward appearances could make it happen. Yes. And and I think we all do that. You know, I've been doing so many interviews and people say, well, how do you how do you ever let yourself get brainwashed? I would never let that happen to myself. And I thought, you know, the truth is we're all brainwashed. Anytime mm. we believe messaging that says we're not okay, we're brainwashed. Or right. believe the media that tells us we have to look a certain way to be attractive, we're brainwashed. Or mm-hmm. feel like we have to buy another product to be happy or hide our sexuality to fit in or whatever it is. And um, yeah. Or get a Martha and, Stewart haircut because yes, that will make you the, the perfect happy wife. Right. And and then I think in a spiritual community, you know, we think we're supposed to wear white and only be happy and only be optimistic and spread love and joy and and float around on a daisy to be enlightened. And I mm-hmm. realized finally the enlightened version of us is the most authentic, loudest, messiest version of us mm, with, yeah. with the crazy hair and, and the crazy outfits and the human experience is to not be happy all the time. We go up and down and all around. So all of the emotions. And then again, you're so liberated when you're finally like, okay, I'm allowed to be mad. I'm allowed to be sad. I'm allowed to be depressed. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm allowed to have curly hair that doesn't look a thing like Martha Stewart. That you cannot tame ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's my hair. It's crazy. That's perfect. Because I believe that you picked that when you incarnated. Crazy hair for some reason. And it's perfect for your personality. Isn't that so funny? I totally agree. And I love that you're, you're saying that to people who are asking, how can you get brainwashed? Because I think marketing is powerful. And it's like, kind of like I would, where we went with, you know, me feeling that same hit and connection in being near Wayne Dyer. Should that moment just go somewhere else? I was in a prime position to also, you know, fall in love with the vision of someone, whoever that person might have been. I guess I'm saying you could pull Wayne out and put somebody else in. And then how far am I from being in a cult, really? Well, and I think that, you know, with that experience, I think what, what you, what I have realized is anybody who knows exactly who he or she is and holds that space with utter confidence, Mm. we end up revering, you know, when we look at pop stars that we love or actors that we love, it's because they know exactly who they are. And I loved Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, because he just knew exactly who he was and didn't let anybody tell him differently. And so I think so many of us, or the majority of us, we we change like chameleons to please the people that we're with to blend in. And when people refuse to do that, they have a really strong power and presence that we then look up to. And, yeah. and I really believe we're all capable of that. It's hard to find who you authentically are and then to hold on to that so strongly. Yeah, yeah, especially because the messaging all around us is that we aren't enough and that we just need this other different thing to be that person, to be that version of ourselves. Well, and ultimately, we all want to be loved. So we don't really want to and we want to be accepted. So we don't really want to go around being so obnoxiously who we are that we piss off everyone in our surroundings. (laughs) But I've learned that when we actually are willing to do that, then the people that are irritated by us move away. And it calls towards us the people that really love and cherish us for exactly who we are. And it is true. I mean, there's going to be people that just decide this isn't a person that I connect with. I know you also mentioned several times in your book, and you kind of just referenced it now too, that you have a strong sense of, well, you mentioned that I probably picked my hair because for some reason that suited me, but you have a really strong sense of kind of reincarnation and that you may have mindfully chosen to either come into this realm or leave this realm. And I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I find it to be really fascinating. Sure. I very, very strongly believe in reincarnation. So when I had been raised Catholic, and when my father died when I was 15, somehow the book Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss showed up in my life. And I was 15 years old, with my best friend, hero, father, protector gone, left in a household with an abusive alcoholic mother that hated me. And I was devastated. And I read this book, and he introduces the idea that we reincarnate over and over and we constantly reunite with souls that we love. Mm-hmm. And at 15 years old, I just thought, you know what? I don't know if this is true. I have no proof, but I know that this belief system makes me feel so happy. And the one that we live and we die and it's over makes me feel so depressed that I'm yeah. going to choose this belief system of reincarnation. And then the more I chose that and the more I looked into that, the more I just realized for me, 
It's absolutely makes sense. And I meet so many people that I know that I've known from past lives. <laughs> and then the more that I meditated, the more I was able to have past life flashbacks for myself or for people that I'm sitting with. Mm. In fact, I'll even see people turn into what they were in past oh, lives. Wow. Um, and and then in my deep, deep meditations, I would dissolve into the white light that we're made of. And so, again, I'm not ever going to claim that I know that that's truth. I just know that that's truth for me. And that belief system makes me profoundly happy. But I'm also open to the idea that it's not like that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, and I think that's interesting because I've had that sense before of, you know, I, I, I've been to Israel and... I feel like I must have been there before. There was just no way that I could have sensed the presence there that I did without it. There was just something more. I can't explain it. You know, why are we drawn to different countries or we pick up languages? So certain people pick up yeah. languages or skill sets so easily. I mean, it just, to me, it makes so much more sense. Mm -hmm. And then you have all, again, all the great spiritual teachers and mystics and saints are all saying that this is how it is. And then yeah. To me, it just, it's such a beautiful way to live because then death is just transition into non-physical. Mm -hmm. And a very quick story is that my, I had a cat for 14 years and she died and it broke my heart. And then mm -hmm. when I moved out to Colorado, I was ready to have her back. And so I looked on the Humane Society website and I saw her. I was sure it was her. Oh, my I went to get her and she hissed at me and I was shocked. So I left without her. <laughs> and six months later, and I lived tw a 20 minute drive up in the mountains from the shelter. Six mm -hmm. months later, a cat showed up on my back patio. And long story short, I wrote a blog about it. It's on my website. You can read the whole story. But that same cat from the shelter showed up at my house up in the mountains. Whoa. When she showed up on my patio, she was so regal. I named her Pele because she had to be named after a goddess and Pele Aww. is the goddess of the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian goddess of the volcano. Yeah. And my brother told me I couldn't keep her, that I was stealing a neighbor's cat and I was a cat stealer. So he made me put up a sign that I found a cat and the woman who came to get her had named her Harriet. And so then when she and I started talking, she said that Harriet was actually Puffy from the animal shelter. <gasps> and she brought Harriet home and Harriet got out again and came back to my house. Oh, my goodness. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that cat had to know you. <laughs> well, and I was so sure she was the reincarnation of my cat. So, you know, it's just and there are stories like that all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So energetically, the two of you know each other. I mean, it seems oh, from an, I mean, another yes. time, another place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I feel that way about my, my son and he was born within five weeks of his twin cousins. And I just feel like they all decided to show up. Like, I, I feel like they picked I us. I They're believe like, that. We need a family that can take three. Where are they? And they all just decided to show up together. Yeah. I really believe that. And again, yeah. isn't it such a beautiful beautiful way to go through life to believe mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to know that you had a connection elsewhere or at another time and that this is just the continuation of energetically being near that, that soul or that person or however you want yeah. to describe them. Yes. Yeah. That we never really truly say goodbye. I'm going to ask a question about Gary. Oh, um, Gary, my twin brother. Are you, it sounded like you kind of strayed away from each other in relationship, but are you close again with him now after 
having <laughs> we did. your experience? Well, when I was in the cult, I was, and this is another thing that most abusive relationships, whether it's a partner or a friend or a cult, they get you to distance yourself from friends and family yeah. because that's your support structure. And so I dutifully estranged myself from everybody that I loved. And they said, because you're changing into this enlightened version of yourself and people that knew the old you will try to hold you back and they don't want you to change and they don't like the new you. And then, of course, my friends and my brother were saying, well, you're getting weird and you're avoiding my phone calls. And so then and so then I thought, okay, they they don't like me changing. And so I'm just going to disappear, which I did. And fortunately, my brother said, I don't care how weird you get. I don't care what you're doing. I'm not going to ask questions. You never have to call me, but I'm your only living family and you're not shoving me out of your life. So you have to keep a phone number where I can reach you. And I loved him for that because I didn't feel threatened by him. And I was, I did stay in touch, but I did move to New York from California and not even tell him. And I would lie about the time change in the weather when we would talk. Oh, wow. And then when I finally realized I was in a cult and left and moved to Colorado, I called him and said, well, it turns out I was in a cult. <laughs> and he said, well, I knew that. And everyone else knew that. You're the only one that didn't know that. But you've always been the black sheep of the family. And I knew you'd be fine. So, Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's and, a lot of trust, too. I mean, having you know, having been the aunt or being the aunt of twins, there's always they get each other at a level that like you just no one else gets them. And do you feel like some of that came into play? Is that, do you think that's true for you and Gary as well? I think he just has always, he was always the mama's boy and he had the same girlfriend for 10 years and then married his next girlfriend and had kids and stayed in the town that we grew up in. And I, the second I was 17, I left and started traveling the world and sleeping with every single man I met and getting all different weird jobs. I was a cliff diver for a while. I was a booze cruise ticket sales person. I was a burlesque dancer, a personal trainer, a massage therapist. And I, I just think he was so used to me just disappearing or not being able to find me or doing some weird thing that he just kind of went, well, she's in a cult. <laughs> She'll be okay. I know that you also said in the book that after you were out of the cult and had realized what was going on, that you had a really, it sounded like probably a very meaningful conversation with a woman named Kate who had been, I think, in the cult with you. Yeah, and had left, and you guys kind of went through that checklist of like, oh my gosh, this is how the brainwashing works. It seemed like it was really kind of an interesting reflection on where where yeah, you've just been. Sure, I'd love to. And again, you know, it's fascinating because we all kind of have this stereotypical idea of people that join a cult probably aren't very smart and are easily duped and kind of can walk all over them. And Kate was this gorgeous, gorgeous young woman that had traveled to probably 60 countries as a journalist and got her master's from UCLA and an incredible athlete. And I graduated magna cum laude with a double degree and got my MBA from NYU. You know, so we're not stupid women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I appeared back in the world and contacted Kate, she was actually living in Africa and she was six months pregnant, I think. And she jumped on a plane to see me. Mm-hmm. And she said, I didn't want to call it a cult because I knew you still liked it. But now that you're out, I mean, it was definitely a cult and we're really messed up. And how did that happen to such smart women like us? And we Googled brainwashing and we saw all the techniques that they did. And what I realized is a lot of us that are overachievers, especially women, 
I think one of the reasons we do it is because we have self-doubt and we're trying to, we don't think we're enough. And so we're trying to prove to the world that we are enough and prove to ourselves that we are enough. And so I think that there's that perfect storm of kind of seeking, kind of searching, looking for a mentor and having self-doubt that can get people like us in either bad relationships or a cult-like situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I I mean, the thing that seemed through your telling of it, it was a a slow process of, of you all kind of getting really close to the two leaders, you more so than others. But like, I could see that that's also, it just becomes the new normal. I mean, do you think that that's, I'll ask this question. I probably know the answer. Is that, was that intentional from them or were they really just so messed up themselves that they didn't really know what they were doing? You know, I will never know. I yeah. do think that they were narcissists. I do think uh, possibly borderline sociopaths. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think, again, it's like any toxic relationship where there is the romance and the buildup phase. And that's how it was with this group. And then kind of they start believing that they are godlike. And then they yeah. have enough students that are feeding into that belief, thinking that they're godlike. And then the group think, you know, the more time you spend with the group, the group think kicks in. So they think they're gods. We as the students think they're gods. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what they taught, because it was personal, professional development, a lot of it was good stuff. Like, (laughs) go get a black belt in karate, go get a master's in business. They had me stop dancing and become a computer programmer. But And so they took a lot of kind of hippy-dippy type lost souls and turned us into suit wearing, money earning, career having professionals. And so we in the beginning were like this rocks. It just didn't rock so much (laughs) for those of us like me that were so extreme that let them just kind of do whatever they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I found that to be, I mean, that definitely came through as well, is that there was a lot of the teachings that are very much aligned with other personal growth and development pieces that like no, that that's not unusual. Right? Like, so I, yeah, that, I'm glad that you just pointed that out as well. It was kind of an interesting, like, wow, this is not right, but wow, some of this does work. Yeah, and um, and I think that that is again for all of us to start paying attention to really what works for us and what doesn't, because some mm-hmm. churches church sometimes really doesn't work for people, but for other people, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the shaming and the sin and the, you can't do this and you can't do that, or otherwise you go to hell. But I see now that for other people, the community and the support and the place to worship and sing and have faith really does work. So one of the beautiful things about everything I went through in this crucible of sorts is that all of my rigid opinions and self-righteousness and judgmental tendencies soften so much. And now I realize I know what works for me, but I can't possibly know what works for others. And I'm so much happier when I stop trying to judge others and figure out what works for them or doesn't. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful thing. I mean, personally, and also to, to recognize for anyone listening that if a church or a group doesn't feel right, especially in the area of religion, that there's probably another group that gets you or that feels like home in some way, because yeah, definitely for my family and, and myself as well. Like I, I'm in that same area of like, I don't really understand a God that would create us from a place of love, but then might damn us to hell. If we don't, if we step out of line, like that just, 
That's it doesn't make sense. Or create us, you know, create you homosexual or create you with, you know, whatever. I just had, if you believe in God and you believe God created us, then you have to believe God created us perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so the things that we love that are, I believe the things that make us different are cues to our destiny and that we have to stop hiding those and start celebrating them. and turn up the volume on them. So if it's the color of your skin or the accent in your speech or your sexual preference or whatever it is, that that we have got to learn to celebrate that. And if you're in a group that tells you you're going to hell because you were born that way, I don't think that's a very good group. No, it's not. It's not. And it's painful and it causes us pain and it, it only creates division and separation and all of that and kind of it drives people in their own way to isolation because we're never going to be that perfect image, which is yeah. not, it's just not possible. So how can we learn to accept each other and ourselves as we are? Yeah. And, and turn up the volume on the difference. I love it. Yes. <laughs> is there anything else you want to make sure and add before we get into some last questions? I guess I would like to add that for me, I had so much shame around my story and as I started to write it and then started to speak it and started to own it, I realized that not only was there incredible liberation in that, but that other people were truly inspired by it. And so one of the biggest uh, takeaways I want readers of my book and listeners of this podcast to have is that there's incredible power in the owning of our stories and our past, especially the traumatic parts and the parts that we might have shame around. And I think as humans, when we're feeling really strong, we're so independent and we don't need each other. And then we can tend to isolate and think, oh, nobody gets me or I don't need anybody. Um, And when we share what makes us broken and what makes us vulnerable we realize we have so much more in common with each other than we do differences. And I think it's incredibly powerful to own everything that happened to you in the past and start speaking about it because you'll find other people that can be healed by you just telling what happened to you. Yes, I agree. And, and I love that in the book, you also kind of reference that what it was so liberating to start to share the story and that it, that it turned to joy for you in realizing kind of who you'd become and, and those pieces. So yeah, I really, I really loved where you, where you landed with your story and that you're, you're here to share it too. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Um, (laughs) If somebody wants to find your book or would like to find out more about you, where can they do that? They can find out more about me on my website, which is ReneeLinnell.com. And the book, The Burn Zone, is available. Any local bookstore will order it if they don't have it in stock. And then it's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And I really, I mean, I really enjoyed it. It was definitely absorbing. Like, I just, I could not uh, put it down kind of book. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good one. And I love how you wove in kind of past and then the current story that you were telling about the cult itself. Like, just really artfully done. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I have two last questions. What would you say that the crossroads of joy, maybe it's liberation or perseverance, one of those two, what do those look like for you? 
Well, one, I think for me, it is accepting that life is going to take you up and down and all around. And so for as above, so below. So for as happy as you can be, as sad as you can be, too. And I, for me, it's understanding that I get incredibly joyful. And then I also do go down and get depressed. And that now I realize that always passes. So to not fight it or apologize for it or put a smiley face on top of it. Um. And then the kinder and kinder I am to myself, really checking in with myself. Do I want to go to lunch with this person or do I not? Do mm-hmm. I want, you know, do I want to go to this social event or do I not? Um, and really honoring what feels good for me and especially the little things like the cup of coffee in the morning that's so important or the walk in nature. But treating myself to all those things that make my heart sing, not expecting anyone else to do it for me, buying myself flowers, wearing lingerie, getting my nails done, even if no one's ever going to see it, doing that for me um, brings me so much joy because I am so filled up in those ways. And then when I go out into the world, I go out as a giver instead of a taker. And so then I'm filled up so I can see what other people need. And then being a service to others brings me joy. So that's my answer to that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Yeah, that's powerful. Because it, it, there is such a strong draw to feel like either someone's going to do something for us, especially maybe in relationships. But then the power that one can what feel for themselves when they realize, you know what, I can do this for myself. I don't have to wait around for anybody to fill my cup in this area, whatever that is, is kind of can be life changing. Well, and, sure. and people ask, you know, what is self love? There's all this talk about self love. And I realize it's treating yourself the way you would treat your own inner three year old. I mean, would you make your inner three year old drive for 45 minutes without stopping to go to the bathroom? Or would you pull over for her? Would mm-hmm. you make her eat another frozen burrito because you don't feel like cooking dinner? Or would you make her something that's nutritious? And so I think as adults, we can go, oh, I don't have time. I just don't have time. And so to love ourselves in that way, for me, made a huge difference. Mm. Um, And then gratitude, always, always, and it's a constant practice to focus on being grateful um, and to find what in the moment is satisfying versus, because it's so easy to complain. Um, It's just so easy for all of us to complain. And so I really always try to stay in gratitude. And I don't Mm. succeed all the time, (laughs) but I try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is a constant going, well, for me as well. Like it's a constant going back to like, oh no, let me get back in that right place. Let me, what what would love look like right here? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And my last question is um, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world or in other people's lives? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. Okay. One is just to start turning up the volume on the things that make you weird or different um, because it really is so much fun and it's okay if people that don't like that move away and out of your life. Um, The second is to really take the time to do the things you love schedule in, you know, a yoga class or a run or whatever it is that makes you happy once a day versus saying, I just don't have time with the kids and the meetings and work and and then giving back, being of service um, would be the third. And and to me, that's using your gifts, whatever that is. If you sing, to sing for people. If you make art, you know, make art. If you do taxes really well, maybe do that for somebody. Um, 
but we're all given these beautiful gifts. And I think we have so much joy when we pursue those gifts and then when we offer them to the world. Mm. Yes. And I really love that you you brought up like the taxes part. Like I think some people will discredit what their brilliant gift is when it's not artistic or creative, using air quotes around both, but like <laughs> that you really can give back and it can be a beautiful gift and not to like second guess what your unusual gift might be. Well, and I think because w- when it's you, you think, oh, it's nothing special. Like, isn't everybody good at doing taxes or organizing <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and the truth is, no, some people are terrible at what you're really good at. And so yeah. what you're really good at is your gift. And the more you can offer that to the world and not need it to be perfect, even offer it really messy. I, I just think that brings so much joy to you as a person and then to whoever you're offering it to. I love it. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and it's funny because that one hasn't, giving backs come up, but no one's ever like kind of pointed out that aspect of it. So thank you. Thank you. Great. <laughs> um, and thank you so much. Thanks for joining me and thanks for being on the show. It's been such such a treat to get to talk to you, Renee. Thank you, Paula. I really loved it. And I want you to give Chewbacca Bologna a kiss for me. <laughs> I will call him in presently. Okay. Renee, thank you so much for joining me this week. I really enjoyed getting to meet you and I do hope that our paths will cross again. I I loved this discussion so very much. If you are curious and you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can find them at the website. It's jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Renee, R-E-N-E-E. You can find the links to her book and her website and some of the books we talk about in the show notes there. Also, while you're over at the website, if you are looking for a coach and you really want to jump on moving on the action in your own life, uh, you can sign up for a free consultation there. Or you want to start your own podcast, which is so much fun and really can be a game changer for you as well in your service-based business. I would also love to talk to you about bringing that dream to life. You can find both on the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com. Next week on the show, totally thrilled to have Kate B joining me. She's from England and she runs the Sober School and we are talking about sobriety. It's a very interesting topic that has not come up on the show before, but I'm super excited to talk about it. And she has consciously made the decision to lead a sober life and she coaches other women on how to do the same if they find that maybe that drink just after work every night is no longer something that is serving them. We talk about the fine line of alcoholism and social drinking and what more is possible for you once you make the choice to be sober. So come on back for that discussion next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.